0: Would you pray with me? Oh God, we come today before your scripture, longing for a word from you. As the psalmist prayed, we pray that the words of our mouths and the meditations of all our hearts will be acceptable to you, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, the sermon today is a little different than normal. Uh, more personal, perhaps, uh, on a topic that some would say is even controversial. I want to speak a little honestly, not that I'm not normally honest, a little more confessionally maybe is a better word, and share what is on uh, my heart, something I've struggled uh, with finding the words uh, to say, the best way to talk about it. But Today I want to talk about racism and how that might impact the church, and particularly the moment We find ourselves in today as a church, as a nation in relation to race and what the people of God could and should do. And we're not going to talk about everything there is to say or should be said, but let's get started with something. Now, the scripture I chose as our lens uh, for this discussion today, it may at first glance not be a very obvious choice. It's a text, though, that as I was thinking about these thoughts, I couldn't get it out of my head. In these words that Andy just read from the letter uh, to the Ephesians, from the Apostle Paul, he talks about the power of Christ to make us one. And of course, the issue his church faces is not really the issues we face today. I'll be honest with you, I've heard of a lot of churches argue over a whole lot of things, but I've never met a church divided over circumcision. Just not an issue anymore, something we really would rather just not talk about. But really, though the church in Ephesus was divided between those who were circumcised and those who were not, the real issue was a lot deeper. Because the division was over Jews. Jews who kept all the Jewish laws, be it the circumcision law or feasts or dietary restrictions or customs and traditions of their faith. But they also believed in Jesus. They were Jews who believed in Jesus, but they still acted like Jesus. And they were divided with Gentile Christians who were Christians like they were, believed in Jesus, had given their life over to Jesus, but had chosen not to keep any uh, religious traditions or festivals of Jewish laws and customs. And they sure were not at this point in their life going to be circumcised just because Abraham did. Of no interest to Jewish or to Gentile people. But really, that's just the tip of the iceberg for their for the conflict between them on the surface the division is over religious practices but underneath it all is bigger than even the division among our own denominations see the practices of Jewish Christians were not just differences in religious practices with differences in gentile practices it it went to the core of their identity who they were as people because they were Jewish And that's why they did the things that Jews did. And Gentiles, they were racially not Jewish. And that term, Gentile, was a term given to anyone who was not a Jew. Racially, something different than a Jew. And so the division between Jews and Gentiles isn't like the division between disciples and Baptists or Protestants and Catholics or even Christians and Jews, It's much closer to our own societal differences between someone who's white and someone who's not white. Often we miss this because we get lost in all that old, ancient, religious practice discussion, this talk of what they were supposed to do and not supposed to do, and we don't see that scriptures like this are words from the apostle given to the church about race relations. That's what he's talking about. Jewish Christians were not okay with non-Jewish people being Christian, or they, sorry, they were okay with non-Jewish people being Christian, so long as they acted like Jews, so long as they acquiesced to Jewish culture. And when Paul sees this happening in these churches that he himself often established, it's not acceptable for Paul. There is one baptism, he says, at another place in his letter. Though a devout Jew himself, Paul kept the law and all their traditions. But he understood that in Christ, God's doing something new, right? He's bringing together people, people who are not uniform in their racial makeup and their cultural practice, but in Christ, Paul says, and in the church, they are one. He writes in the words we just read that God wants so much for God's people to be one that God abolishes the law, Paul says. Some strong language for a Jew, but he abolishes the law because it's causing division. And God even becomes flesh, Paul says, to show us the way. And Jesus climbs on a cross to finally put to death the hostility between us so that we could be one new humanity, he says in place of the two, thus making peace. Now that's the text from Paul, but it is the heart of God, he says. This is the gospel. That's what the good news of Christ is about. The gospel destroys all lines of division. The gospel brings us together. This The gospel exposes and offends our prejudices. The gospel exposes those things within us that we'd rather not talk about and deal with, but we know we're present. Be it a prejudice between Jew or Gentile or white or black or any form of division and prejudice, the gospel exposes it, all with the goal of making us one in Jesus Christ. Now, I believe that with all my heart, and I am sure that you believe the same. And I'll confess to you this morning, this is a sermon that I kind of wanted to preach for a while as we've looked at it, over the last couple of years, increased racial tension in our country. We see it on the news. We may not see it on the streets necessarily, but we see it. We know it's there. It's a hard topic to talk about. We don't often know how to find the language. And it's bothered me, my own hesitancy, because it's something I've talked about before, just not with you. It's been a big part of my ministry. If you read my newsletter article this month, I shared a bit of my own background. But one of the first churches I ever served was a black congregation in Abilene, Texas. I've worked as a community organizer in Dallas and New Orleans, primarily with black congregations, Catholic and Protestant. My work in New Orleans specifically was in very uh, kind of decent or segregated uh, schools. And we confronted some racism, blatant racism happening in public schools in the United States today. While we were living in New Orleans, in a prominently black neighborhood, Marty worked in a multiracial church, First Grace United Methodist Church. And that experience of, of church coming together across multiple lines really got into our blood. So much about my calling is connected to this topic. And it's not anything I chose, but something that God has kind of walked me through throughout my life through people, particularly a mentor of mine, Dr. Jerry Taylor. We talked last week on World Communion Sunday about the reconciliation ministry, a big part of our denominational work in our country. And that was one of the primary things that I liked about disciples, because we had at least a ministry we were talking about, and the church I was a part of didn't even talk about things like that. Of course, it's a struggle to talk about issues in a place like Norwalk, right? Because we're all, well, we're pretty much all white. And it's not because we have deep prejudices and we're just, you know, keep it white. That's the way we want it to be. That's not our issue. It's not our demographic. It's not like a disciples' church that we interviewed at in Mississippi. I won't tell you the name. We're not uh, giving names today. But they gave us a tour of a town, of, of their small Mississippi town. They showed us every church in their small town except one. The black church. The black disciples church. The only other disciples church in town they would not show us as if it didn't even exist. Now I knew it did and asked them about it and they were like oh oh, yeah 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 they're on the other side of the railroad tracks quite literally. For that and for many other reasons we stopped talking to that church. I've never personally in my ministry felt like A minister, I met the Methodist district superintendent in southern Louisiana who used to be a disciple's pastor. And when visiting with her, she told me her own story of her journey into a new denomination, which was connected very deeply to race. She, a white woman, gave a sermon in her small Louisiana town about race relations after an incident in their community. And her church fired her because of it. The Methodist church welcomed her (laughs) afterwards, and she became a Methodist. She also helped me become a disciple, but that's a, another story. Now, those aren't the problems I've faced in my ministry, and we don't have those types of problems here. I don't fear for my ministry if I preach a sermon like this. Though we did put it Pastor Appreciation Month in the bulletin, but Chris did that. There wasn't any connection. At first, I, I thought, well, well, we don't talk about this because people might get offended or might accuse me of preaching politics from the pulpit. But I realize that's really not the reason at all. For me, that's just an excuse. The real reason is that I don't want that light of the gospel to shine on my own life, on the dark places that I still hold. Because it's easy to call out racism when it's blatant, when it's someone else's sin. That church in Mississippi was racist. And thank God we're not like them. But the issue of Race that we face in America is often much deeper than that and not so blatant at all. There are a lot of different forms that it takes in our society today, and it seems lately we're trying to create even more new forms, new ways to offend whole groups of people. But the race problem in our country and with Christianity in America has primarily been a problem between people who are identified as white and those who identify as black the founders of our denomination were slave owners. Now, they later later freed their slaves. They were slave owners when they began the Christian Church, Disciples of Christ. Every Protestant denomination in America divided over race during the Civil War. And the oppression of people with black skin did not end with slavery. And it did not end with with desegregation. And it continues today not so blatantly but perhaps even more insidiously. And my mentor in ministry, Dr. Jerry Taylor, he was the one for me that opened my eyes by inviting me to work at his church, by introducing me to people who I never would have met without him, whose stories I had to listen to. And I heard for the first time in my life and learned of their experience that I should have known, but I didn't. Because I'm white in America, there are certain things that I just don't have to know. I don't even have to know that I'm white. I'm just me, right? But so many of our brothers and sisters know from the minute they walk outside who they are. See, no one's ever followed me around the store because I'm white. No one's ever locked their doors at the intersection when I pull up beside them or cross in front of them. No one's ever pulled me over for doing anything because I was white, for other things, yeah, but not because of that. I've never worried that my son would be mistaken for a criminal or a thug because he likes to wear hoodies. But I have friends who've had conversations with their kids, kids younger than my son, what they call the conversation, so that their son will be protected and safe. Now, I've had challenges, and I've had oppositions, and I've been pulled over plenty of times, I've been worried about my kids before for many reasons, but none of those things were because of my race. I've never, by virtue of my appearance, scared or worried anybody. I'm just not a scary guy. But my friends who are black, those who I was able to worship with and work with and work for, and those I went to school with, when they tell me their story, it's very different than my story. And their experiences are so different than mine. I didn't know it until they opened their life to me and told me about it. And I should have known their fear and their pain because they're my brothers and sisters in Christ. But I didn't. It wasn't part of my experience. And learning it, I could have interpreted it as them saying, as them blaming me for being white as if it's all my fault and I'm the bad guy. But that's not what they were telling me. And I could have taken it as a criticism of of all law enforcement officers, that all were racist or bad apples. But that's not what they were telling me either. They were sharing with me simply their life, telling me that there is still a problem in our world today. That today, in 2016, that under the guise of, of resisting political correctness, people think that they can say the most awful things about other people be it on social media, or among friends, or straight to someone. That today, in 2016, a former grand wizard of the KKK thinks now is an opportune time to run for political office. That today, in 2016, which is almost 60 years since Martin Luther King was assassinated, that there's still so much innocent blood spilled, and so much hate, and so much division, My friends, help me see that even though I would preach, we are one in Christ, and say all are welcome, and in my heart, believe it to be true, and believe that no one is any less than in the eyes of God, or in my eyes, because of who they are, that I still cannot deny someone else's experience. It It may not be my fault, but as a child of God, it's my problem. It's my problem because of this thing we call the gospel. Because the gospel of Christ tears down walls. It brings people together. That's what it does. And if God is willing to abolish the very law that God gave in order for people to come together, what would God call us to do in order to make such a reality happen in our day? If God is willing to become flesh, And in that flesh to crawl on a cross and die because of people's hate, what are we called to do? Can we listen to others who are crying in protest? Can we turn our attention away? Can we ignore them? Or must we pay attention? We as the people of God, we must care because the gospel compels us to. And one of my favorite pieces of writing, a letter that we're on the council today, picking the books of the Bible, I would probably throw this one in. It's a modern-day epistle written by Dr. King, The Letter to the Birmingham Jail. If you haven't read this, just Google it. It's all online. But the letter was addressed to white clergy like me, specifically to eight particular white clergymen who were all from the city of Alabama. King had come into town And they published a letter in the paper condemning what he was doing, but supporting his cause. They believed in the cause. They just didn't think the way he was going about the cause was right. That he should have stayed in his hometown, dealt with his own problems, and let the pastors and the people of Birmingham deal with theirs. And King wrote this letter while in jail, arrested from being at a protest. And the letter is this more famous quote from the letter that you may have heard He writes, I'm in Birmingham, well, because injustice is in Birmingham. Just as the prophets of the 8th century B.C. left their villages and carried their thus saith the Lord far beyond the boundaries of their hometowns. And just as the Apostle Paul left Tarsus and carried the gospel of Jesus to the far corners of his world, so I am compelled to carry the gospel of freedom beyond my home. Moreover, I am cognizant, he writes, of the interrelatedness of all communities and all states. I cannot sit idly by in Atlanta and not be concerned about what happens in Birmingham. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly escapable network of mutuality, he says. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Whatever affects one person directly affects me indirectly. Or as Paul said in another letter to a divided church, you are no longer strangers or aliens to one another, but we're all citizens with the saints and all members of the household of God. We are one family. Are we really one? Well, yeah, but we must work to make that oneness in Christ real. And when one part of our family is hurting, we all hurt. And in this moment in our country, people are hurting. From Ferguson to Charleston to Baltimore and Charlotte and Chicago and Minneapolis and Des Moines and, yes, even in Norwalk. Members of our family are hurting. And so the first thing God calls us to do is simply to listen. To hear, to care, and then to talk about, to ask questions, to read scripture together and figure out what we might do. What does the gospel compel us to do so that through Christ, all divisions may be overcome. And the spiritual oneness that we all share in Christ will be visible to all. That we will love all and act for all so that all God's people may experience Justice, And if you believe that with me, let us say together, amen. amen. And let us now come to the table of Christ, a table that is always open for all, where Christ comes and calls us just as we are to come and be one again.